CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. It's the start of a brand new week here on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and I'm glad to have uh, you with us. Uh, It's really summertime, and yet political news does not slow down. It has not slowed down at this point. Uh, The Republican Party of Georgia had their big convention at Jekyll Island last weekend, and a lot of interesting news came out of that. We'll be talking about it with our panel today and a lot more as well. Uh, Let me get right to the panel, as a matter of fact. It's uh, Monday, the day that we greet Jim Galloway, the former political columnist, political insider columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, now living a life of leisure in retirement up there in the far reaches of Cobb County. Hi, Jim. Uh, Good morning, this misty, moisty Monday. It's... uh, Uh, yeah, and and yes, yeah, so I'm le- leaving a, a re- leading a life of leisure. Uh, there's no, no question about it. <laughs> this misty, moisty morning. You have not lost your knack for words, Mr. Galloway, <laughs> and I'm glad you're here. Um, I really am excited to uh, introduce a panelist who you've heard on this show on any number of occasions, but we now get to introduce her in an entirely new way. Riley Bunch joins us. And for the time that she has been on Political Rewind, we've always talked about her work as the State House reporter for CNHI News, which has a series chain of newspapers across the state of Georgia and in other states as well. Um, Riley has established a really strong reputation for herself working at the state capitol to the extent that we have been very lucky uh, to have been able to uh, win Riley over to our team. Uh, Riley Bunch, you join us next week as the newest member of our team, and we're very happy you will do that. Hi, Riley. Hi, Bill. Thanks for that very, very nice introduction. Yeah, I'm very excited to announce that tomorrow is my last day with CNHI, and I will be coming on to the GPT family as a public policy reporter starting a little bit later this month. So super thankful, grateful you guys to have me. We're really, really delighted you're coming. And, and I do have to say that one of the things that makes me feel particularly good about your coming in is that you came to the attention of our management team because of your appearances on Political Rewind. They were so impressed, seriously, with the way you analyzed uh, news about politics. So I'm very pleased that uh, your appearances on the show have led to a little bit uh, different opportunity for you. So we look forward to continuing having you on and to seeing your reporting. Raina Cash is with us, the executive editor of the Savannah Morning News. Raina, I said before we went on the air, my wife Janice and I were down your way. We spent last week down at the Georgia coast and started it with two days in Savannah. The town was hopping, Raina. There's no question that the tourism industry is back. And I was interested, Raina, in how many people were continuing to wear masks, certainly indoors, but but a lot of them outdoors as well. I I thought that was a really interesting sign. Yeah, and, you know, just last weekend, the mayor um, listed that that mask order, strongly encouraged but not mandated. But the the tourists are here and in droves. I think Memorial Day weekend, we had 99% hotel capacity. 
So uh, that is an excellent sign that uh, we are on the way back. And I wish I had a coin collector for everybody that came through the front door of Savannah. I'd be a rich woman. <laughs> well, we're very <laughs> glad you're with us uh, today. I also have to say, we, we continued our trip down the coast. We ended up down near Darien in the marshes and went to Darien, St. Simon, and, um, and, and all along the coast there. And, and everywhere we went, even though there were a lot of people who were visiting or, or maybe residents were not wearing masks, even, even in independent stores, we found most people continued to wear masks. And it, it felt like a really good sign to me that we continue to take this virus seriously, even though we know that we can be a little bit more relaxed in how we deal with all of this. So that was a fascinating experience for my wife and for me. Um, Mariella Romero is back with us, the Community Empowerment Director of Univision Regional Director. Mariella, how have you been? Excellent, Bill. How are you? I'm always glad to be here. Yeah, we're, we're happy to have you on the show. Have you? I haven't looked at Univision's homepage this morning, uh, the digital version. Uh, what's popping in the news at Univision right now? Well, we are, of course, covering uh, for our audience the elections in Peru. Those are very important for our region. So it's very close. We still don't have uh, a winner, and it's two opposites. We have, uh, you know, someone who is the former daughter of Alberto Fujimori, which is a powerful figure for Latin America, and then someone who comes from the left, Pedro Castillo. So, you know, the whole continent is uh, watching this. Uh, the, how this election turns out. And I'm imagining that the vice president's visit uh, to Guatemala at first, uh, Guatemala, where immigration is going yes. to be a big issue, will be something that your readers are really going to follow carefully. Absolutely, absolutely, because of all the impact that, uh, you know, the migration from Central America to the United States. And, and we are looking for more involvement from the United States government into Central America. In this part uh, of Okay, way. let's... Oh, I apologize. Um, Jim Galloway, uh, let's get a little closer to home for the next little while. You and I have both covered plenty, especially of Republican state conventions, uh, that have <laughs> exploded into interesting, uh, raucous demonstrations of various kinds. Uh, this time, at Jekyll Island this weekend, uh, it was Brian Kemp, who got special treatment from the crowd, uh, some of it favorable, others not so much. Let's listen just for a minute, Jim, to uh, the crowd responding to Kemp when he took the stage. Jim, that's a clip that Maya Prabhu posted on Twitter, and she made the point, of course, AJC reporter, she made the point that from her vantage point, the noise was so loud you couldn't hear a lot of what Kemp had to say. But, Jim, we should be careful about how we evaluate whether this means Brian Kemp is in serious trouble or not. He's got challenges, but we've seen this sort of thing before at Republican conventions. 
Right, right. And and what was different about this Republican convention is that the boos were widely expected. We knew that they were coming. And actually, uh, 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 Kemp did a pretty good job of planning for that. I mean, he brought his own people, his own cheering se- section. He, he held a session outside the hall, uh, just kind of a, a meet and greet with people, just one-on-one. Uh, I, I, I think uh, Martha Zoller uh uh, 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 compared it to a, just a, a kind of rope-a-dope session. He was there until the last question was answered. Uh, I, I think what was... So you have to look at... To me, the important thing was who showed up and who didn't show up. Okay, Gary Black, the State Agriculture Commission, showed up. He said he's in the U.S. Senate race. Herschel Walker, uh, the UGA great, did not. That's important. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you've got... You have... Uh, Kind of left on uh, un, uh, uh, a bit unnoticed were two internal, more more really more telling uh, internal pri- GOP primary uh, contests. You had Bruce Thompson, a state senator from uh, Bartow County, uh, 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 formally announce his his uh, his entry into the race for labor commissioner, a post now held by Republican Mark Butler. Uh, Thompson said the, the 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 office is a mess. Unemployment the, the unemployment uh, benefit program is a mess, and he wants to fix it. That's that's that tells you that Republicans think that seat is is highly vulnerable to a Democratic challenge. Then you then you have uh, you had uh, uh, Jody Heiss, this, uh, the congressman from 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 the Athens area, uh, uh, jump in with Brad, against Brad Raffens. Burger very loudly. He's the Secretary of State. Uh, so, you, so you've got these the 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 turmoil within the GOP isn't isn't contained within the governor's race. I think I think that's very important. I, I think it is too, and I want to unpack some of what you said and take those things uh, separately as we move forward. Reina, um, it it would be easy. To assume, and there's no question that, that that Kemp has some ground to make up here. His refusal to support any of Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the election in Georgia uh, have have really made him uh, the target of a lot of anger from the far right in the Republican Party, and and maybe some of the more well, I don't know that there are any moderates left in the, that part of the Republican Party, but he does have work to do to win back. Uh, the, the favor of a lot of Republican voters, right? Huh? And he seems like he's he's ready for that fight and is and is very aware of it. Uh, the fact that, um, as Jim mentioned, he he hung around, he answered every question, he uh, sort of faced the music there. In um, you know, in spite of all the the booze and the jeering, he didn't just walk away. Uh, so he knows what he's up against. Um, it's really trying to unify the party, if that can even be accomplished at this point. Even here in Chatham County, uh, they had a huge fight just trying to figure out who their uh, delegate would be uh, at the convention and who their uh, local leadership would be to the point where they had to cancel uh, their meeting and and then reconvene at a later date. Uh, So the divisions are far and wide, and uh, whether it's Kemp or someone else, they're going to have um, a fight on their hands um, or some, you know, some heavy lifting to do to try to bring this party together on some common measures. Uh, Kemp, seems, Kemp doesn't seem uh, intimidated by that and seems to be ready to take it on. Riley, let's add one more layer to this, and that is that Vernon Jones, who is the one announced candidate to oppose 
Brian Kemp for the for the GOP gubernatorial nomination. He got a pretty enthusiastic greeting, according to all the news reports, of, of his appearance at the convention. Well, you know, the thing that I was thinking about earlier, and Jim and I chatted about with or about before the show, was that these conventions they really are filled with the most far right, the base of the GOP. So there is going to be a loud crowd there that is faithful to Trump, is angry at Kemp, and is going to take Vernon Jones signs and hold them up in the crowd and antagonize Kemp. I think Kemp, I think it could have been worse for Kemp, as the governor Kemp at the convention this weekend. You know, he went in there with a number of things he has done to curry favor with, with the base and try to win back favor with the Trump world supporters. And he talked about, you know, his fight against critical race theory and his vaccine passports. You know, he did have some support, but we, as Jim said earlier, we expected the booze. And like uh, Riley is mentioning, he's trying to present all the things he has done to uh, support uh, former President Trump's agenda. And, and I think uh, one of the things his team, especially on social media, is trying to put out there is the, um, uh, you know, that Kemp is paying attention to what's happening in the border. Uh, because I, I think that is something critical for the base. And uh Recently, uh, the governor went to uh, to the border. He visited with Texas Governor Abbott. So, in social media, you will see a lot of posts that show that Brian Kemp is with the National Guard, taking care of the the, the border. The the Biden administration is not taking care of the crisis at the border. So, I think that is one of the greatest greatest hits that uh, always resonates with the base. But Marielle, how does that play in the Hispanic community in Georgia? Well, it does not play well at all. And, uh, you know, I, I really don't understand, because for the governor to win uh, Georgia again, uh, he's going to have to reach out to, to minority voters. And with that kind of rhetoric, uh, he's alienating uh, people who might support his uh, view on economics. We have a lot of uh, Latino entrepreneurs who favor, uh, you know, less interested government and will be favorable of a, you know, second term uh, under Ken because of his economic policies. But this play with the border and, and trying to, uh, you know, make the base agitated about illegals and, you know, that kind of rhetoric, I, I don't think it's helpful for him. Jim, I, I alluded a couple times to the fact that we've seen raucous Republican conventions in the state before. So, for example, as you and I certainly recall, back in 2007, I think it was, Saxby Chambliss was booed resoundingly. He was, he was booed literally off the stage uh, because of his effort to reach a bipartisan accord on a, a comprehensive immigration reform package with Democrats, um, and yet uh, uh, it didn't it didn't end Saxby Chambliss's career. It became a footnote in his career. No, but it, but it it and and and, and more to the point, it was, this was under the George W. Bush administration that they were trying yes, this, and, exactly. and and yes. and they had to, they had to withdraw. But but. Uh, uh, 
the following election was a pretty tough one for, for Shambliss. Yeah. He was drawn into a, a special election with Jim Martin, if you'll recall, yeah. and then he decided not to run uh, run again. So it's it uh, things like this do have they, they do have repercussions. I guess that's right. I should be careful to say it was a footnote. We don't know to what extent it did, in fact, uh, uh, lead him to decide he had enough after that next term and that very tight election. But Nathan Deal also skipped a GOP convention entirely because he knew he was going to get blowback for vetoing the religious liberty uh, bill. So, And you and I, Jim, recall, I think it was, what, 92? Is it 88 or 92 The Pat Robertson forces took over the state Republican convention in oh, yeah, uh, Albany? There may have been a few fists thrown here, here and there in that one. It got nasty. John Stuckey was chairman of the party at the time, and in trying to get order at one point, he banged his gavel so hard that the head of it flew off and up into the rafters of the Albany Convention Center. So I think Riley makes a good point. We have to be careful, Jim, about uh, what we take out of these events uh, at, in, in terms of their long-lasting uh, effect in terms of pro, for or against various candidates. Right, right. One of the more important uh, telling things is is that I, I think they, they they boasted maybe 3,000 delegates, which is a large delegate. Uh, it's a, that's a large, large voting uh, body, uh, and they said it was the largest ever. Uh, I, I will take their word for it, and I think there was a show of hands, and and uh, and and for about half of them, this was their first convention. Okay, that tells you number one: yes, new people are being brought into the into into the system. What it's not telling you is how many veterans are walking away or choosing not to uh, choosing not to participate, and that's 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 also important, I think. Yeah. Raina, you have to wonder about Raffensperger, I think. Is he an eternal optimist uh, who just always sees life from the sunny side? Or does he know something that we don't about the electorate? It just seems like his ability to win re-election with Jody Heiss coming after him, is it, he's got a very tough road ahead of him, doesn't he? To say the least, <laughs> my understanding that there was a, quote, high screen social at, uh, at yeah. the convention is what they were calling it. Uh, Jody Heiss seems to have uh, the wind at his back uh, in terms of uh, this uh, this election coming up. And um, I, I just don't see if there are Raffensperger supporters out there, they aren't loud, they aren't vocal. Uh, they may be in corners somewhere just waiting to pounce at the last moment. But for right now, I don't see a lot of people coming to his defense. I don't see a lot of people in his corner. And uh, like you said, maybe he knows something that the rest of us uh, don't know. Jim, Jim, do you have some thoughts about uh, what is happening behind the scenes at Raffensperger? Yeah, just just very very quickly. I mean, uh, the problem this poses for Republicans is: look, look, Raffensperger is a a uh, uh, he's going to have a tough time in the primary if he's if he survives at all. Uh, but imagine the benefit that g g comes to Governor Kemp if he is on the ticket with Raffensperger. Uh, Raffensperger has become uh, a kind of the ideal Republican general election can candidate. 
uh, and and imagine exactly what what the messaging the Democrats will have if it's if if the Secretary of State, the man, who, the, the 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 person who who's going to run the elections uh, in Georgia for years to come is uh, is Jody Heiss, who is declared who who is part of the movement to declare the 2020 results uh, uh, null and void. That's that's a it's, it's a it's a very interesting. Uh, kind of dilemma for Republicans, I think, right now. You know, I would just jump in there that I think Raffensperger is also in a tricky situation in terms of what he can respond to and what he can't respond to right now, still being in office. And um, with the campaign season starting so early for all these people that are joining the primary. And in terms of Jody Heiss, you know, he is kind of that Marjorie Taylor Greene figure. He was with her and Matt Gates in the rally in Dalton, and he has that grassroots support from the Trump base that, you know, agrees with these ideas that the election was faulty and um, supports these kind of conspiracy theories, right? So he is, he's a problem for Raffensperger, he is. Mariella, um, I, I want to ask you to weigh in on, on another uh, part of all this. Uh, Jim Galloway said at the beginning of the show that one of the things that was uh, worth noting is who did not come to Jekyll Island to be part of this convention. Herschel Walker wasn't there. We've heard nothing from Herschel Walker about whether he's going to make a run for the Senate or not. Uh, Donald Trump has already been supporting him. Um, so, we, he, but, you know, although we have at least one person who says, I'm going to jump, buddy, uh, um, who is it who wants to jump into this race, Riley? Uh, it's Buddy, Buddy Carter. Buddy Carter. Buddy Carter. Buddy Carter has, he says, Mary Ellick, Buddy Carter says, you know, I want to get in, I'm, when they want to get in this thing, whether Herschel Walker's there or not, but, um, or is it Gary Black, I think, who has said that, Mary Gary Ellick. Black, this is what happens when you've been on vacation for a week. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. Gary Black has now announced he is definitely mm-hmm. in the race for U.S. Senate. Thank you. Now I'm getting my bearings back. Uh, and he said he's in it no matter what. But but the fact of the matter is, th- there's got to be a lot of suspense around the question of whether Herschel Walker really wants to be a part of this. Yes, and, you know, of course, the agriculture commissioner is going to leverage his high name recognition for all those years uh, in statewide office. And also, uh, you know, he is uh, the, the top... Uh, officer in the, our top industry in Georgia. Uh, but he's also going to talk about his support for Donald Trump. But in my opinion, getting the GOP nomination will be very interesting to watch. Right now it's very slowly, but it's getting competitive because, you know, uh, Kelvin King has announced, and he's the owner of a construction company in Atlanta. Uh, he's was one of Donald Trump's most prominent black supporters in the state. Uh, we also have a Latham Sadler, uh, former Navy SEAL, former aide on the National Security Council. Uh, and like you said, everybody's waiting for Herschel Walker, who is the one who has been endorsed by former President Donald Trump. So um, we'll wait. We'll wait. It's going to be interesting. Um, uh, but I think... The commissioner, because that name recognition, he's going to play on that a lot. Riley? You know, I, 
Um, Mary Ellis said exactly what I was thinking, right? Gary Black is this interesting mix of a Republican candidate that we haven't really seen yet. He has the, you know, he supports Donald Trump and kind of plays to that base, but he also has these years of recognition. Um, and as agriculture commissioner, he has huge name recognition in rural areas, despite you know, the uh, the Trump supporting factor of him. And he's coming in also in this race where agriculture has become so important, right? So we've seen Senator Reverend Warnock playing to that agriculture policy side of things. And he, he knows that's going to be an important part of that race. And to have him, a newcomer in that kind of ag field, and if Gary Black wins the, nom- the Republican nomination, it'll be interesting to see how ag becomes important in that race. I, I, I think that is going to be, it's going to be fascinating to watch Gary Black uh, as he campaigns for that job. All right, why don't we get our first break of the show out of the way? I am, going to, I am going to try to drain the rest of the salt water from my recently vacationing brain and get back on track in terms of uh, the show today. We'll do all of that and more in just a minute. Mariella Romero, Raina Cash, Riley Bunch, Jim Galloway, all with us for today's Political Rewind. Um, Riley, we are losing panelists left and right on this show because once people declare they're running for something, we feel it's inappropriate to have them continue as a a panelist. Uh, And we just lost another one. Uh, Just uh, this morning, the AJC reports that uh, Wendy Davis, who is a very, very well thought of and highly respected Democratic National Committee woman up in Rome, has uh, decided that she's going to announce formally later this week she wants to try to take the 14th congressional seat away from Marjorie Taylor Greene. But Riley, uh, that's a tough, tough road to hoe, too, assuming the district even looks a little bit like it does now. Marjorie Taylor Greene's in a very red district. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's interesting to see Marjorie Taylor Greene take on some of these more local candidates, right? And Wendy Davis is just part of this growing Democratic enthusiasm to run against Marjorie Taylor Greene. But like you said, Bill, it, it is a hard road up there. Their district is so, so red. And, you know, the Republicans don't want to lose that district during redistricting. I I don't assume that it's going to look much different come the next redistricting cycle. But it'll be interesting to see how these Democrats that are trying to challenge Marjorie Taylor Greene try to win favor over Republicans. It's a tough road. Yeah, uh, I, I think what you you have to kind of look at what what Republicans are doing here, and 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 uh, there is some thinking going on in in, in some quarters here. Uh, I I don't think the uh, Wendy Davis is entering this with uh, with with a with a uh, kind of the the smug realization that she can beat Marjorie Taylor Greene because she's uh, there's the, there's a huge fund fundraising uh, gap between the two. There's sure there's sure to be and and you know it it is as Riley said it's a tremendously red district, one of the most the most Republican in the, in the country. But I think what they're trying to do is they're 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 remembering what happened in these uh, in the the January five special elections when when turnout was depressed in 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 the 14th district and in the 9th district uh, 
uh, both heavily Republican. And I think what they're trying to do, remember, you're, this is, you're going to have just the, the, the whole slate of statewide con, con, constitutional officers on the ballot in 2022. And I think this is a, a, a very concerted effort to make sure that, that they, the Democrats can squeeze every Democratic vote out of the 14th district that, that, that they view possible. There are probably of course, some, one of the issues. I was just going to say there are probably some votes on the table too because Marjorie Taylor Greene is so far off the cliff of the right side um, that there are, you know, some Republicans, you know, conservative Republicans who uh, just don't align with her her views, her perspectives, the QAnon conspiracies and such. So even if um, Wendy Davis is not able to win that district, just the fact that she might be able to woo some of those who uh, just don't have a tolerance for Marjorie Taylor Greene type, uh, they may, the Democrats may consider that worth the effort. So, um, Raina, let me, uh, as long as the ball's in your court, uh, stick with you on this. What we always have to mention, I think, on this show when we start talking about potential congressional matchups for 2022 is the fact that we're now hearing um, for, for certain that the earliest the Census Bureau is going to have the data that gives the most specific information about populations in, in very uh, specific areas of the country until September 30th at the earliest. Redistricting can't start until at least early October and it is never a quick process. There are always fights as the maps are drawn, withdrawn, drawn again. So any congressional race that we look at is going to be, you know, they're going to have to, the candidates are going to have to wait to see exactly what the lines they're running in are going to look like. Yeah, that's, uh, they're taking it, or it's going to be taken to the wire, and there won't be much time to, to adjust or campaign uh, accordingly. Uh, but this is this is going to be we're just beginning to really start talking about this redistricting. But I believe this is going to be the biggest conversation in the second half of the year. Um, it's it's going to define everything. And to Riley's point, I don't know how dramatic it's going to be um, if it's really going to, to shift demographics that much. But uh, there won't be much time to adjust once it's complete. And um, this will consume the, the conversation in the fall um and i, I in regards to to the race um in marjorie green i think also there are some republicans who want to who want to enter and challenge her and i i wonder uh what do you guys think of the possibility of another republican who is more moderate uh winning that seat um I don't imagine she's very, very popular, but I wonder, you know, like we were questioning, you know, how can the Democrats do this? I wonder also why some Republicans want to do this. Of course, I see, uh, you know, they want a candidate that is not creating headlines uh, for the wrong reasons, uh, and, and I think they want to appeal to to that silent majority of the Republican Party, if that exists, uh, but I wonder if there's any chances of a, a different Republican winning and unseating her. 
All right. Well, Jim, I, I, I weigh in on <laughs> no, that. Yeah, yeah. To answer that, uh, I think that the, the quick answer is no. Uh, uh, that that she's pretty much got a lock on that. I mean, uh, she didn't show up. Uh, she didn't show up at the at the state convention in Jekyll, but I I don't think she needed to. I think her her uh, her support among Republicans in the 14th is pretty solid. Okay, uh, she didn't. Let's keep talking. There's other things that happened at that convention that I think are still worth talking about. Riley, somebody who did show up was Kelly Leffler, and we've haven't. She is of course uh, activated this new conservative version of fair fight in the sense that she's looking to uh, get as many uh, Republicans involved in the campaign cycle coming up, get them out to the polls and and the like. Uh, but we really have no idea whether she thinks that she ought to make that race next year, the, the Senate race. Yeah, well, we don't know if former Senator Leffler is going to make a race, but she is kind of making a strong case for her to throw her hat in the bid, right? Yes. And I think that yes. for her new organization, this Greater Georgia, which is this grassroots effort to turn out more Republicans, the convention was probably a good sign for her, right? Because there was, as Jim mentioned earlier, there were so many um, people, so many new people. And I think the really interesting comparison to draw is between Senator, former Senator Leffler's Greater Georgia campaign versus Lieutenant um, Governor Duncan's um, GOP 2.0 campaign, right? It is just the most stark comparison of Greater Georgia organization looking back on the election results and then Lieutenant Governor Duncan, who was not there, who has not curried favor with the GOP right now, trying to move the party forward. So I think that's really interesting. Raina, is there room for a GOP 2.0 at this point? Jeff Duncan is really committed to being one of the leaders of that movement. He's certainly spending a lot of time on the cable channel. CNN is he's almost a regular with them uh, promoting this. But it, it, Trump is still the dominant force in the Republican Party, period. Yes? Yes, but he also lost. <laughs> so there's uh, obviously there's uh, a faction out there who um, may not have a, a tolerance or want a more moderate version of, of what uh, the Republican Party is. And uh, Jeff Duncan can uh, hop on that train and run with it. It's important to know that he is getting a lot of national attention. And a lot of that is coming from CNN and not Fox. Um, so he has a, a brand of, of Republicanism that um, he, he's going to be pitching for a long time to come, and not just in Georgia, but across the country. Um, I love Riley's comparison of what those two, um, two, two factions look like and to see which one is, uh, will run away with it. Because, yeah. um, you know, we have to remember that Donald Trump did not win the election and uh, there were reasons for that. Galloway, if you were to set up shop as a political consultant and you were looking for the first client you wanted to, to try to work for at, on the Republican side, uh, without regard to all the Trump stuff that's been going on, before all that started, Jeff Duncan might be the first guy you'd want to bring into the fold. He's young, uh, a former Major League Baseball player. He's smart. He's very handsome. He's got all of these qualities that you would want to attract. He just happens to be a Republican at a very difficult time. Right, right, and I, and I think you have to you have to look at what he's doing as as a long term investment. Uh, that's that that maybe that that maybe won't pay off until until 
uh, sometime beyond 2024, uh, when uh, when Republicans nominate somebody for president, and and we know what uh, what happens, uh, whether Biden or another Democrat uh, can beat him or not. Uh, but I think it's I think it's a long term investment. Uh, he's a he's a young fellow. He's he's he, and, and and he's he still has uh, some kids to shepherd through shepherd through high school. So so there's uh, there's that. He's got plenty of time. Uh, Marielle, okay, we've spent a lot of time because of the Republican convention talking about what's going on in the Republican politics leading up to next year's elections. Let's finish it with this. Um, we know that around the country. Um, Hispanic voters were just as likely in some cases, in some uh, uh, jurisdictions, more likely to vote for Republicans than Democrats. Here in Georgia, I think, I think I'm right, the data show that uh, uh, the Hispanic community, for the most part, gave more of its votes to the Democratic candidates. But how, how um, malleable is the Hispanic vote for the 2022 election? Our Repu- can Republicans make a case to win them over as they have in, in, in other states? Absolutely. In the, the past election was a reflection. There were, uh, you know, what happened in Florida. A lot of Hispanics voted uh, Republican. In, 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 in border towns in Texas, that happened the same thing. Uh, I, I think um, it is a terrible uh, wasted opportunity for Republicans not to reach out to Hispanic voters because Hispanic voters, for the most part, who are immigrants to this country, would be the ideal candidate uh, to go after it, after that. Um, And they they have just wasted that opportunity. But they are very malleable. And also, we have to also mention this, if President Biden doesn't do anything significant with immigration, he's going to lose the credibility with the Hispanic voters. So that is something interesting to to analyze. All right. Well, thank you uh, for to all of you for our discussion about all of the interesting threads of news that came out of that Republican convention this past weekend. Let's take our final break of the show and come back with more on Political Rewind. Jim Galloway, uh, Steve Wrigley steps down, retires as chancellor of the University System of Georgia at the end of this month. And I think it is not unfair to say, at least from the perspective of outside observers, that the process for selecting his successor is a mess right now. Um, We've lost one search firm that started taking on the, the job of looking for identifying possible candidates. Um, we've got an accreditation agency that has said that if they, if they p- make a choice on the basis of politics, meaning in this case the talk of Sonny Perdue being chancellor, it may risk the accreditation of the university system of Georgia. But now we've got an interview from your former colleague, Greg Bluestein talking to Sonny Perdue, who says, quote, it's safe to say I'm willing to serve. The governor and I had a conversation about it. I felt like it was probably in this stage of my life, the only job in Georgia I felt like I was passionate about and that I would accept. It's obviously up to the judgment of the regents, which I respect. I just want the best chancellor Georgia can ever get. If that's someone else, so be it. So at this stage, Jim, 
uh, Purdue decides to give an interview in which he makes it clear, yep, yep, don't take me out of the picture. I'm interested. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, uh, when he says, I'm willing to serve, uh, you can you can cons- consider that I want to serve. I want this post yeah. very badly. Uh, I'm sure he he thinks of it as a as as a that that it, that it would make a, a a nice final cap on on his on 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 his political tenure in Georgia. Uh, he did run the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which is a large organization uh, uh, during the Trump administration. So he's I mean he's got that in his favor. Uh, one thing that I, I keep I, I keep wondering about is if you'll recall during during his tenure as as uh, as uh, as uh, agriculture secretary uh, he was he was very much about moving those uh, those uh, those agriculture researchers in the department who were specializing in climate change moved them out of Washington moved them uh, into the Midwest where where he said they would be closer to the f- farmers but also. Uh, out of uh, out of kind of out of out of the bureaucracy and and out of the out of the line of 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 uh, of, of conversation and I'm wondering if that is part of the the conversation that's going on within the board of regents because the University of Georgia has a tremendous uh, army of, of of researchers who are who are just de- delving deeply into into climate change. And 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 I'm wondering if this is one of those underlying worries. Period. Um, Riley, there was something deep in Greg Bluestein's article uh, about uh, Purdue with the, with the interview with Purdue, uh, and and I thought it was worth uh, talking about. Here's the quote: These there are challenging times here, not only with the pandemic, but and here's the key: but with the culture revolution that we're seeing as well, and there needs to be some stability there to help guide the state's values and policies through higher education. I, I found that to be an important quote from him because it's it does. I mean, we know how conservative Sonny Purdue is. We know that he was a very very enthusiastic supporter of Donald Trump, and that quote suggests that he really thinks that. That conservative political point of view needs to be inserted into the state's uh, uh, consideration of how it deals with the university system. Well, absolutely. It is, you know, one of the top public official um, seats in the state. It is such a powerful position. And if we think about the conservative versus the liberal battles that are playing out now, right? We have critical race theory that's playing out in schools. We had the transgender legislation banning transgender athletes from sports that are coming across the country. This spot has a lot of political power. And if you have a conservative, you know, holding that spot, a conservative that also follows Trump holding that spot, um, they will have a lot of, you know, influence on the legislature, on the state. And I think that quote was very telling from him. All right. Well, we're going to watch to see how this unfolds. There's a new search firm that has now been hired to identify candidates. We've now heard the declaration from Sonny Perdue. He's interested in the job, and we'll just have to watch how that unfolds. Um, Raina, let me turn to you, if I may, to start this part of our conversation. Um, In the middle of last week, uh, the State Board of Education issued, wrote a long statement uh, that basically uh, was, I think, done at the urging of uh, Governor Kemp, uh, suggesting that schools across the state should be very careful about teaching so-called critical race 
theory. And I say so-called because I, I'm not sure that anybody really knows what critical race theory actually is. I mean, there truly is an academic uh, uh, theory that has very specific goals and um, uh, ideas that it presents. But I, I think when we talk about critical race theory, it's, it, it stands for something entirely different, Raina. Yeah, I guess on, on paper, the definition is uh, that it's, it highlights historical, how in historical inequities and racism still plays out today in our society, in policy, uh, institutions, et cetera. Um, but I wonder if, and I think that the conversation really is, let's not talk about race, period. Um, it's not it's not as much of an academic discussion as it is a race discussion and a political discussion. Um, and and the, the pushback to this is just startling to me. Um, we had a situation here, I'll quickly tell you here in Effingham High School, uh, where a teacher um, back during the on the day of the insurrection, some students walked in, they were talking about what they were saying. Uh, one of the students said if they were black, you know, they would be dead or arrested and just really confusing the, to the high school students. And uh, the instructor was already ha already had a speech or a lesson plan to talk about Martin Luther King and I have a dream speech. This made one of the students so uncomfortable. She told her parents, a white student came to the principal. Principal told the teacher, you're not to talk about Black Lives Matter types of issues in the class or you know, how these current events are impacting society today. And it's, it's, a, it's a hard pill to swallow of how you can go through an education system without talking about the most pressing issues in front of us as a country and to not be truthful um, about what happened, you know, or in terms of Dr. King sanitizing his message and not telling the whole truth about what is going on and calling that a fair, equitable, and quality education. So um, I don't know how this is going to play out. Uh, it's very disturbing uh, to, to try and muzzle teachers and, and educators on topics that are so important to help us better understand one another and uh, better relate to each other and be, be more empathetic and um, hopefully be a better society and country as a result. Mariella, of course, this all began when Donald Trump was in the White House and, uh, of course, condemned Black Lives Matter over and over again, uh, but then went on to say that federal agencies could no longer uh, uh, teach diversity, have diversity training exercises uh, within their uh, departments. And certainly we now know that Republicans across the country are embracing these attacks on critical race theory as a uh, weapon to use in the 2022 election cycle, and Governor Kemp has joined them in that. Mariella? Uh, yes, what a, what a lost opportunity, because I think uh, we are in a critical moment uh, in this country to embrace this type of discussion. Uh, the events of the last decade have increased the public's awareness of, about things like the housing segregation, uh, we all, last week, we, we, many of us learned about what happened 100 years ago in Tulsa, the impact of criminal justice policy in the 1990s, uh, the, the legacy of enslavement of black Americans. 
so all of those things are opportunities for for us as Americans to look to our past and, and try to make a better future. But I believe that um, what is, is difficult to navigate is what the government's role should be in writing this path wrong. Uh, and, you know, we add children and schooling into the mix, and, and, and then things become very uh, volatile, like uh, Raina was saying. So it, it, what, a, what an opportunity we have here to grow and, and to be better. Jim? Yeah, I think what we're looking at is is kind of an attempt by by Republicans to to kind of establish a, a, a an antithesis to Black Lives Matters, uh, which which kind of gained a great ground about this time last year, and it's it's basically what if if you were going to boil down critical race theory, it's 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 the fact that if you have two hundred and fifty years of 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 chattel slavery it's going to have an impact on your institutions for decades and and may, and centuries to come and it, uh, a very interesting thing happened this weekend uh uh and it's it gets into the weeds a little bit but the nfl changed how it's it uh how it assesses uh cognitive damage to football players because because there was an, a legal assumption that if you were African American, intellectually you started at a lower point than white NFL players. They've abandoned that. That is a that is a legacy of 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 racism and slavery. I I gotta say, Riley, Raina, both of you, I I thought there was a breathtakingly horrific uh, concept that we suddenly learned about that the NFL had that as part of the way in which they made assessments about uh, uh, giving people recompense for that kind of damage that black people deserve less because they didn't have the same inherent intelligence. I was stunned by that, Riley. Well, you know, it's just, it's an example of the fact that these systemic racisms, they exist in everything, right? They exist in sports, they exist in schools. And if we can't talk about them and we can't talk to our children about them, they're not gonna go away. There's this, right you know, this whole, this whole idea of um, anti-racism versus I'm not a racist and teaching people to be against racism and, and the reasons why and how it has impacted every aspect of our society, from our street names, the names of our schools, the way we look at each other, who we love, uh, where we live, uh, how we bank. Um, you know, there's there's no facet of society that is not touched by this. And to suggest putting your head in the sand, uh, saying that it's dangerous ideology to discuss it, um, to take it even into adulthood and say, let's not discuss it um, in, in federal teachings and diversity, equity, inclusion, um, to not discuss it is the part that's dangerous to me. All right, this is a conversation we're going to have again and get into in even more depth because it's going to continue to be an issue throughout the election campaign and uh, we'll devote more time to really digging in more deeply as we move forward. In the meantime, we are out of time uh, for today's show. Uh, Raina Cash, uh, uh, Riley Bunch, Mariella Romero, and of course Jim Galloway. I'm so glad that you were with us uh, 
for the show today. Tomorrow, Sam Olin's Michael Thurmond are back with us, along with Tamar Hallerman. That'll be fun. Uh, thank you all for listening today. It's, I'm really happy to be back with you all. I had a great time down at the marshes and at the beach, but I miss being part of this great discussions we have on Political Rewind. And I love having all of you out there listening as we do the show. So take care. See you tomorrow. I'm Bill Nygut. Bye-bye. <laughs>